to Season 4, Episode 6 of the Rink.com's Blackhawks Rinkcast, live from the Puck Hockey Studios inside the quarantine bubble. Today is Wednesday, February 17th, 2021, and I am your host, John Jekyll, better known across the interwebs as JJ, that Jekyll guy, or worse from there. With us tonight is special guest, Frank Nova, of the world-famous Hockey Night blog, and for the unfortunate few who call themselves Cubs fans, Fully croisoned, D's is ein baseball blog. Greetings, for. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, my friend. It's always uh, quite entertaining. And we do cover the White Sox also. Excellent. Uh, that, all right, so you've, your stock is, is rising with that, with that statement. Also here, as always, are two of the usual suspects. Andy Campbell. Andy, how are you, man? Doing well. How's everybody out there? Hope you're doing great despite the cold. Stay safe. Stay warm. Love it. Sean, Sean Fitzgerald, also known as Sean Goldstein, the blogger to be named later. Sean, what's happening? You know, another day in paradise, uh, just sporting some of my new rink wear that my uh, wife bought for me to support us here. So, and uh, golden jet today, number nine and the brim is gold. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. The inside of the brim is gold. You need a gold grill to go with that. Too hot. I say, is that a brim or is that a balcony? I know, right? <laughs> I, I should get my um, Edron James grill and I'll be ready to go. Well, Sean, your shameless plug of uh, puck hockey and, and rink gear at puck hockey is a nice segue into, as always, all rink shows are brought to you by puckhockey.com, P U C K H C K Y.com where you can get all kinds of high-quality, custom-designed hockey apparel and lifestyle gear, including the exclusive rink line, which Sean is, is modeling tonight. And I'm modeling as well, including this quite, uh, quite warm and comfy blue and black uh, rink, rink logo flannel. Um, recommended um, to you at puckhockey.com. I believe this one's going for about $49.99 right now. Thank God I didn't um, wear it, John. We would have been matchy-matchy. That's right. Oh, that would have been awesome. Um, all you, of which, you would have both been lumber sexuals. <laughs> <laughs> all of which you can get for 10% off with the discount code the rink, all caps, no spaces at puckhockey.com. So, gentlemen, let's get down to business. Tonight, for a change, we're going to spend a fair amount of time breaking down what's going right with the Blackhawks. But we're also going to look at how much of that might be luck and how much of it is a really positive sign for the rest of the season and beyond. And one big area where there are still some troubling signs for the future, because what would a rink cast be without some negativity about the Blackhawks? So, guys, let's get started on our first topic. We've talked um, already on the last couple of shows about Kevin Lankadin. Um, but I'm going to take a slightly different take on this, and that is um, his stellar play. Is it sustainable, especially as teams get second and third looks at him, um, through the schedule. And I'm going to turn this one over to our guest, Frank Nova. Well, I think it will be because I don't think he has any kind of a unique style about his goaltending to where uh, there's going to be much of a book on him. Um, I do think he's got to get his rebounds under control. It was funny before the game started tonight, Ed Olchuk was talking about his rebound control. And I actually think that's part of his game. That's kind of wanting. Um, but I'll actually say something good about Jer- Jeremy Colleton, which is completely off-brand for me. Uh, he's been really good at making sure that 
no team gets a second look when they're playing the back-to-back games. Nobody's getting two looks at either at either uh, Subban or at Lankinen. So the goaltending right now is basically covering a lot of ills. Um, Lankinen was really good in the AHL last year. He was an all-star. So, you know, there's definitely the potential there for him to be uh, a starting goalie in the NHL. Andy, what do you think? Is it sustainable? Yeah, uh, we're going to find out and we're going to find out. We might find out relatively soon. I mean, if you if you were to crunch some numbers and look at NHL stats and want to get into the numbers game on him and, and get away from his style, you will see Tampa Bay, Florida and Carolina as you know, some of the higher mostly those teams are mostly in the top 10 in any offensive categories in the NHL. And so there might be more of an onslaught coming his way. You know, we just went through all the, all the Nor'easters literally, you know, across the country, his might be delayed a little bit until March, but, um, but we'll, we'll see. So, I mean, I, I guess time will tell. Um, I mean, he is kicking him out though. You know, when you're hot, you're hot and you can ride that wave for as long as it's present. So is it sustainable? Possibly. Um, but I think if the road is going to get tougher, it just will. So, uh, and the Hawks are going to have to get, you know, they're going to have to find other ways to win um, besides just relying on, on the, on the backstop there. Yeah. Sean, what do you think? Lankinen's play is it at, at the current level? Is it sustainable? I think um, I'm going to have to agree with Andy. Uh, I know I do that a lot, but um, I think, <laughs> We're going we're gonna to find out. Uh, Tampa Bay, he didn't see him either time. They played him early on in the season. He, he's gotten a little fat playing Detroit. This is, what, his third time playing Detroit, I think? So his numbers have gotten inflated that way. So we're going to see. I mean, his save percentage was at .938. Now it's dropped to .925. So it's coming down a little bit. I don't know. I don't. I at this at this level, it would be as Gate referenced uh, in previous shows. It'd be like Eddie the Eagle, and I don't know if he can sustain that for his first full year. Yeah, I think, and, and I think that um, I'm with Frank. I think he has the potential to be a starter, and if that's something that the Hawks come out of this season with, you can count that as a win. Because before this season, I don't think there was anybody that we, we could point to and say that person's going to potentially be the starter in net for the next 10 years um, or five years even. And, uh, but I do think he's showing that kind of mojo, if you will. And, and I'm not going to pretend to be a, uh, uh, a goalie or goaltending expert. I mean, our resident goaltending expert isn't here right now. So, um, but I do think, you know, he has, he plays with a lot of confidence um, the, the, his teammates and the coaching staff and the organization seem to be, uh, big believers in him. Um, so he seems to have something that, that they can work with going forward in the future. But I also think that, um, he's going to, his numbers are going to come down and he's probably going to settle below 920 um, for safe percentage. Um, and frankly, um, you know, with, with the defense he has in front of him, that would be outstanding because, um, uh, they give up a lot of shots. We're going to talk about that too. So, um, all right, let's move on. We spoke last week about the power play, which going into action tonight was ranked fourth in the league. Fourth, the hot power play. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. And so I'm, and we talked about last week about why that's happening. The fact that not just the puck is moving, but the players are starting to move now. And in so doing, it's creating, 
you know, open, open scoring lanes and opportunities. And, um, you know, for some reason, finally, either the players or the coaches or both got the memo from the other teams around the league who run successful power plays, regardless. Um, it is clearly better. They're doing things better, but the level at which they're at now, which is top five in the league, is that sustainable? And I'm going to go with Andy next. No, it's not. Um, I, I, I don't see it. Um, I, I think they've gotten some good puck luck. Um, you know, I, I think that they've, they've certainly been creative. First of all, full credit to the redesigning of their power play. I mean, it's been, it's been great. There's been some great weaponry, but, um, you know, they've been moving the puck a little bit better. You know, you're seeing uh, Bo Dan now in the first team power play. Um, and he can certainly, he's showing that he can handle a puck. Their zone entries have been a lot better. Um, but again, now all of a sudden, you know, people are talking about the Blackhawks power play. Uh, where I don't think coming into the season this year, you know, I, I, I don't know if there were too many teams whenever they were going to man down against the Blackhawks, you know, in the first five to six games of the season going, all right, guys, watch out. I mean, this is a unit. I mean, they just don't, they didn't have that, that reputation. So almost more, I think there's going to be more of a book focus on that than on, than on Lankinen. And um, so I don't see it being sustainable just for personnel, um, you know, that first unit is, is pretty good. The second unit, not as good on paper. Um, and so it, it, it's been great, but I, it, it will probably slow down at some point. Sean. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be uh, top five, maybe top 10. I, I definitely don't think we're going to be in the era where people are going to cry on Twitter, decline the penalty. I don't think we're going to be in that era again. Um I like, I like what they're doing on the power play. And, yeah, they're having a little bit of puck luck. Um, I believe they're scoring at over 20% on their power play. I think that's what they're doing right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's going to come back a little bit. But I, I think they can still be like a top 10 power play in the NHL. That's, that's nothing to – as opposed to years past where they were 28, uh, 27. Like, I think that's, that's something to shoot for. And – I don't think coming into this that I thought the power play would be anything special. I thought special teams was going to be like a disaster. Like it's been in years past. So yeah. Thank you, Frankie. Well, you already brought up the fact that they're moving a lot more. And I think that goes a long way towards the power play being a lot more effective in years past. What you get is they get the puck to Kane and Kane would, dangle for about 40 seconds before the puck left the zone and everybody else on the team basically just had the best seats in the house to watch Patrick Kane stick handle. And uh, now you've got guys moving around a lot more. And also the second unit, while they haven't been getting the goals going on, um, they have been getting a lot of movement going and they don't have that one single guy who kind of holds the puck while, while somebody tries to get open. So, you know, I mean, yeah, they're certainly not looking anything. They're not going to make anybody forget the 80s Oilers, but I do <laughs> think it's a more effective power play. And uh, yeah, and the fact that bodies are moving and maybe this was something that needed to happen where a lot of the veteran players just aren't there. And these younger guys just, you know, they're not, they don't have the Quenville power play system just ingrained into, ingrained into their brains mm-hmm. the way that some of the other guys did. That's my problem. I have all kinds of stuff embrained into my brain. <laughs> that's my new, that's my new single with Cypress Hill. 
straight to the brain. <laughs> We're old enough to remember that, Frank. <laughs> um, so you raise a really, really good point, though. And, and you know, uh, we've been talking about it for a couple of years, too, how, you know, they used to basically sit there transfixed by Patrick Kane overhandling the puck on the half board. And, you know, he he tried to take a shot or he tried to pass the puck and, it, you know, it just wouldn't it just he'd either he'd either get you know, stopped by the goalie or would go out of the zone. And that was it. But now they're moving. And, I, you know, I think. I, that's why I think it is somewhat sustainable. I don't think top five sustainable, but I think top 10, like you said, Sean, is quite realistic because one thing the Hawks have in abundance, um, especially, you know, among some of their veteran players who are still around is they have creative players. Um, and, you know, Alex DeBrinkett and Patrick Kane, and even the, the much lamented and much maligned Dylan Strom is a, is a creative hockey player albeit can't really skate and is soft as baby poop, but he's creative. So they have those that with those assets, they should have a good power play um, because you're, you're five on four or, you know, or you're four on three sometimes. And, and uh, that you should be able to take advantage of that with your creativity and puck movement and player movement, which leads me to my next point for the, for the esteemed panel. Um, the Hawks have won four games in three on three OT. Um, and the season is not that old. Um, they, um, they've also lost four, but they've banked four valuable points through three on three OT. Um, I'm going to point something out here that the Hawks the last few years, they haven't been good at many things, but they've been good at three, three on three OT. Um, so my question, I have sort of a, a twofold question here for you, for you gents. One, is this sustainable for them to, to, to bank fairly regular points in three on three? Number one, and then, and second of all, in light of the fact that it's a great way to get points in the regular season, but it's worthless in the po- in the postseason, in terms of it and a bill. Frozen, John. Hi, I got disconnected. He's back. He's uh, back. But it's it's worthless in the postseason postseason in terms of you know being able to score because you don't have three on three OT in the postseason. So I'm going to ask you guys how do you feel about this proclivity of the Hawks, if you will? Cause like I said, they've been good at three on three for the last few years with Gustafson and Kane and Strom and Dabrinkit and Taves, Taves, but not this year, Taves. But uh, what do you guys think? Um, I'm going to turn it over to Andy. Um, well, first of all, I'm going to have to look up proclivity um, in order to accurately contribute. That's a big that, that is a 75 cent <laughs> word. Yeah. Um, Busted out your, your thesaurus. <laughs> Um, send money to my paypal baby yeah no that was pretty impressive um i'm feeling a little inadequate right now but um i i think one of one of the things and and we've talked about this in our podcast um to reinsertion into the lineup has certainly helped them in three on three i mean the the bottom line is you need offensive weapons you need really good skaters um and you need guys that are patient with the puck who can shoot so I don't think their, their recent success and obviously his contributions there are evident. Um, but, you know, and, and sometimes, it, you know, I, I know I've used the term puck luck again. I mean, you are one bad decision, one odd man rush, one post, one shot high off the glass from, you know, losing an overtime game. And so, you know, they had a couple chances in some of the early season sessions where it didn't go their way. Patrick Kane would be out there for four minutes and, you know, trying to do everything he could. Um, But the bottom line is it's fine if they win games three on three, but ultimately, you know, 
I guess where it frustrates me is if that's how they're going to win hockey games, one, that's probably not a good recipe for postseason hockey. But not only that, it's not a good recipe to get into the postseason. So then if you're winning games and you're getting that extra point, you're not exactly tanking like we thought they would hope, but then you're just going to be that kind of middle ground, not making the playoffs, you know, uh, 12 to 16 first round pick. And you're just kind of stuck in that neutral. Um, it's entertaining as hell. I mean, three on threes are great. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I would love to see them win a, win a game in 60 minutes, which they haven't done with regularity. And, and, you know, if that, if they can get to that point, that would be great, but we'll see. Andy, you have a nasty habit of jumping ahead to our next topic. I'm sorry. Without knowing it. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's good. It's good. It's, it's really good. Actually. Frank, what do you think? Um, well, first of all, uh, going back to the power play for a second, the Hawks just got another power play goal, Kurashov. Oh, I'm on delay. Oh, here. Ah. <laughs> Woo! Um, but uh, three-on-three hockey is tailor-made for any team that has Patrick Kane and Alex yeah. Dabrinkit. Yeah. You give you got two guys with that much scoring ability. And, you know, Andy, you've talked about puck luck. Last year was an incredibly unlucky year for Dabrinkit. He could not shoot a pee into the ocean off the end of the dock. He was just not getting the puck in the net at all. This year he's back. He's shooting with accuracy. So you've got that first unit that's Kane and Debrinkit, usually with Duncan Keith. But the other thing that's helping them out a lot this year is they've got a really strong second unit with Suter and uh, mm-hmm. Suter and uh, Kubelik. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> Drew a blank. So um, – my phone is blowing up, so apparently this is a goal that we're definitely going to have to watch when we're yeah, doing it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's – Anyway. It's Stash really- has a great tweet about it, so it's if you, I retweeted yeah. it. Stash has a great tweet about it. Um, a- anyway. Uh, of the year so far for the Hawks, no question. But, but, yeah, back to what I was saying is, you know, you've got that depth. that, And, it, again, three on three, it's a complete aberration. It's like, you know, the runner starting at second base now in baseball. It's It's – fun it makes it a little bit fun a little bit more challenging but it's worthless like you said when the rubber meets the road when we get to the postseason but as far as it being sustainable as long as you've got Patrick Kane and Alex to bring it absolutely Sean what do you think yeah I think it's 100% sustainable um I think another thing besides Patrick Kane and Alex to bring it this team has a little bit of speed and I think that's what you need in three-on-three hockey. You've got to be able to – and the ability to beat your man one-on-one. Like how many times do we see Patrick Kane deke somebody and find the open – find Alex Dabrinkit streaking in the net or somebody just uh, – Pius Suter charging the puck. I mean, last game, Bodan had a great outlet pass to Suter who then found Kubalik for the game winner. So – and that's your second unit. Yeah. I think the, the Blackhawks, like – Frank said they're totally built for three-on-three hockey. The NHL implemented it to make it more entertaining, which it is, because four-on-four, I swear the majority of the time the Hawks went to four-on-four, they ended up in the skills competition, a.k.a. the shootout, which is boring. Is it sustainable in the future? I mean, I don't think any of this is sustainable. Let's be honest. I don't think – they're three on three winning. Yeah, it's like the black. It's like they're contractually obligated to go to overtime because they want to give us more hockey, and then they want to win in overtime. That's I think the only way they can win. So, 
It's not going to get him in the playoffs. It's not going to be successful in the playoffs. Is it fun as hell to watch? Yes. Are they going to rack up points and probably be in NHL purgatory? Yes. Yeah. But I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to gather my thoughts on this. Um, it leads me to my next topic though. Oh, so it's interesting. The, the last game against Columbus um, over the weekend, um, you know, it was, I was watching the, in the third period, I really noticed how, and I think even the, the announcers even um, commented on it as well, that Columbus was basically dominating the boards. Every 50-50 puck was going to Felino or to Boone Jenner or, you know, one of those guys on Columbus um, and, you know, Dennis Rasmussen, Dennis Rasmussen, you said, no, what's his name? Soderberg. I call him Dennis Rasmussen. He looks like Dennis wow, Rasmussen. Way back and he's Swedish. But Soderberg, you know, uses a, a, gets in the slot, uses a Columbus player as a screen and gets one past Corpus Allo and the Hawks go to OT. And there, within a minute, you know, they, they use their skill and, and their, you know, use of the, their use of time and space and their talent to get a goal and take two points. Where, you know, if Soderberg doesn't get that goal, which was kind of which was kind of lucky. Um, they they came they came out of that game with zero points and zero points for the weekend, and Columbus would have gone home with four instead of three. So I do think they're getting a little lucky to a degree, and it, and it really leads me to a point. Um, we did a deep dive um, yesterday and today uh, on in our rink chat on five on five play. The Hawks' numbers in five on five are absolutely garbage, um, and I, I just you know I I listen. I love what's going on with this team. You know, the, the young guys, um, Phil Kershev and, and Pia Suter, and, you know, you see Mitchell coming along and Bodin coming along. But my, my concern about this team is this team has stunk five on five for a few years. And I'm just not seeing, I'm, I'm seeing more of these guys who are going to be useful in, in the power play and in three on three, than guys who are going to be difference makers five on five because five on five hockey um, you know, the thing that the thing that makes it challenging and, and, you know, it's why playoff teams are good at five on five hockey is that it's it's big boy hockey. You know, it's it's bumping and grinding and, and winning loose pucks and, you know, doing the hard work around the nets. Um, and the Hawks have been horrible at it because the Hawks have a bunch of small skill players who prefer the perimeter. Um, and they're even worse in some ways this year without taste. And, and we dug in some of these numbers. So they've played three to five more games than all the teams in their division, except Detroit and Columbus, three to five more games than Tampa, Florida, Dallas, Carolina. Um, they're fifth in, in the division on, on, in five on five goals. And that's playing the most games in the division. Um, they're tied with Detroit for five on five goals. Um, the top four teams in the division in five on five goals, uh, Dallas, Tampa Bay, Carolina and Columbus were all playoff teams last year. And that's because five on five scoring and five on five on five goal differential matters. You know, it's the, it's a hallmark of a good team and a team that will compete in the playoffs. And I'm not, I'm not here to be negative about this, about what's going on this year. Cause like I said, there's a lot of good young talent show and, and emerging, but turn is, is, I, I just worry about this team. I just don't see, aside from Kirby Doc, I don't see any players who are going to become the Marion Hosa, Brandon Saad, Pat, uh, Jonathan Taves, Andrew Shaw type players 
for this team that are going to make them a better five on five team. Uh, I mean, their numbers five on five, especially their offensive five on five numbers, like, like every single, like, like t- every stat, like um, unblocked shot percentage, shot percentage, high danger chances for high danger goals for they're like 24th or worse in the league. And like I said, this isn't something new this year. This has been like going back the last few years. And that was with Taves and with Sot. So I want to, I want to turn this over to you guys. I mean, my, cause my concern is not so much this year cause they're not going to the playoffs this year, probably anyway. And if they do, they're going to get destroyed in the first round because of what I'm talking about right now. But I mean, this has been a problem for years. And I think it, I think a lot of it does come back to it. Some of it might be coaching, but I think some of it also might be the types of players Bowman keeps drafting. Um, and so I'd like to get you guys take on it. And Frank, what do you think? Um, yeah, I agree. They, they've got a lot of skill, but there does need to be some size into it. And, you know, we talked about, you talked about Hosa, you talked about Taves, um, but you also need to have like those, uh, third line guys, you need to have some Andrew lads in there guys who won't necessarily show up on the score sheet, but they're the guys who are going to get into the dirty areas, dig the pucks out. And they just don't have those guys. They've got, they don't have the size. They don't have the strength. And those are things, I mean, you can, you don't have to draft strength. You can develop strength, but you do have to draft some size. Um, you can have a cane. I mean, Kane is kind of an outlier because Kane is not physically tall, but he's built like a box. So, you know, he can get pucks in the corner. He can get pucks on the boards. He can do that sort of thing. Um, I do think that the Hawks will be in a position, especially, uh, depending on who does and does not retire after this season. Um, they'll be in a position where they'll have enough payroll flexibility to start looking to get the, those guys that are already developed. They're not going to need to go and draft and build these players. Um, and also with the expansion draft uh, right now, I've pretty much inked in uh, Cole DeHaan going to Seattle. So that'll free some space up also. <laughs> um, somebody's got to go and, I, I don't know if you have the or Johnson expansion. Murphy, one or the other. Yeah. Well, they can, they're, <laughs> if you look at what the Blackhawks have on the roster, they, they are going to have trouble finding guys to protect because they have so right. many first and second year players. So many guys who are not going to have enough games in right. to where they might not even be able to protect all, all the forwards that they're allowed to protect. And the only def- they really come down to two defensemen. You can de- protect either Murphy or Dahan. You can't protect them both. So they'll protect Murphy. They'll lose Dahan. But that's still going to be another $3 million on top of possibly Shaw, possibly Seabrook, possibly Taves. They're, you know, it's going to be Christmas morning for Stan Bowman. And yeah, if I'm Stan Bowman, I want to go out and get a Boone Jenner type player or a Nick Foligno type player, not another Zach Smith you know, another guy who's, who's, whose best days are, you know, three, four years behind them. Um, but, you know, like, like, you know, Andrew Ladd is a great example because I, I think that, I think the Hawks mentality has been, you know, let's, let's have a bunch of super skilled superstars and then Brandon Bolig or Andrew, or, you know, or Andrew Shaw or something. Shaw was a pretty good example of this too, though. Guys who could chip in some goals and yeah. play up and down the lineup. 
but but guys who are going to win a lot of 50-50 pucks and are going to be nasty as fuck to play against. Pardon my French. Um, I hope the kids aren't listening. It's, it's late now, so we're probably good. Um, I, I just think that they, they've got to find those guys somewhere. And you're right, Frank, it's probably going to have to be through free agency because drafting those guys and developing them is going to take a while, and they haven't really drafted those guys. And you know? Yeah, and so, you see the forwards that are coming in. The only forward that came in with a grown-up game was Kirby Dock, who never spent a minute in the Hawks farm system. Right, right. You know, he, was, he was a fully baked cake when they got him. Andy, what do you think? Well, you know, I, so if, if you forecast ahead to the Blackhawks off season, um, you know, I think there's, there's, there's two kids that you need to, you know, that will be RFAs that I think you do want to bring back. Um, you know, and I, I think, I think suitors up for one. And I think Brandon Hagel, you need to prioritize my biggest fear. If they do not protect Hagel and he ends up in Seattle, I'm going to be very upset. More Hagel. Um, I'm with you. But Brandon Hagel's a first-year player. I don't think he's eligible to even be drafted. Okay, good. Yeah, I don't think he is. I think Frank's. Yeah, I don't know what the rules are, but it's the same rules as it was again in Vegas when okay, Vegas good. had their draft. They haven't changed the rules. Well, at an, at any rate, um, I mean, we we you talk about Andrew Ladd. Brandon Hagel fits a lot of that, and you need more players of that fabric. Now, you know, I don't. You know, maybe maybe the Hawks will strike gold somehow, and we'll decide not to protect Dylan Strome, and he'll end up in Seattle. Um, when we talk about Christmas morning, you know, that's that's what I'm hoping Santa Claus delivers to me. But you know, so I I think that you, you, we talk about five on five play, and I know I bag on Dylan Strome a lot, but he's he's not a very good five on five hockey player. Nah, he's he is not. He is not a good enough skater. He's fine on the power play when he's got room. He has no, you know, he's your one a center right now and mm-hmm. he has no five on five points in the last five games. And, and that's, that's just not good enough. And so, you know, I, you need, and, and to your point, JJ, we haven't had that kind of element in, in a few years. And that's because you've been relying on Jonathan Taves to play so many different roles Right. You know, where he's asked to be, you know, a checking center and be your first line center and score for you when when we don't have as much sandpaper in the lineup, you know, as the Blackhawks would like. And on those cup contending teams, I mean, Zeus was slow, but he was physical. Great. You know, and and even Brad Richards had had adapted his game um, at the center ice position to be incredibly useful um, in that role. And, you know, I hey, we'd all love to see another Marion Hosa. Sure. But free agency is where that has to happen. And Stan Bowman is going to have a lot of money at his disposal. And so rugged players needs to be part of that because you, you still see some of these young kids, even in five on five play getting to the net and, and that middle lane drive, you don't yeah. see it as effective. They don't back off defensemen. They're not scary. Right. You know, when you, when you see some of right. these, some of these bigger rugged teams and you see even, you know, the lightning or the Boston Bruins, you know, the Bruins have guys like Coyle and Smith, you know, when they've got an odd man rush or a three on two and that, that middle guy is driving to the net, you can see yeah. that you can see the penetration on that defensive unit moving back. The Blackhawks don't really have that threat. They no. just don't. Um, and they also don't have some of those, those guys that are, you know, focused on, you know, the, the things that they need to do forwards in their own zone and able to just safely clear pucks. So um, I agree. I think the, the free agency is going to be, is going to be the key piece with, with adding some of that element. 
Sean, what do you think, buddy? Yeah, I think the sandpaper going in the corners kind of left town after 2014, 2015. I honestly think that's when it really ended for the Blackhawks. Um, their forward, I mean, like like Andy said, uh, Brad Richards. I mean, they had they had Marcus Kruger, who was he could win pucks in the corner. They had Brandon Sod, uh, Brian Bickle. Like they had bigger type forwards that would help them possess the puck. That's another thing. Like when you have those sandpaper guys who can win the puck battles, you possess the puck longer, and that's what made those previous Hawk teams so good. They possessed the puck for minutes on end. The end of the, um, I think it was 2012-13 in game six against the Kings. I think for the last 30 to 40 seconds of that game before ultimately Mike Richards tied it and they went to overtime, the Hawks were just playing keep away in the Kings zone with the puck. They And they would they'd get go into the corner, somebody would win it and swing it back around. And we don't have that anymore. No. Uh, to Stan Bowman's credit, uh, mark this down, he, he has started to draft bigger type players. Um, I think the last two drafts he's, a, he's addressed, like trying to draft height, at least on defense. He hasn't drafted a small defenseman since uh, Boquist. But I think that's they need that. And if they can get a guy like – they're missing a guy like Troy Brower too. Like everybody's talking about Andrew, like Troy Brower was a guy like that too. Who played the third line sandpaper ish six, six, two, six, three or six, four could score goals. And they don't have that. Yeah. They're missing that element to their game. So that's why puck possession struggles. And that's why they give up so many shots a game because they don't possess the puck. So well, Troy, Troy Brower spent more time in the pony than in the corners. And that's why Troy <laughs> Brower stopped being a black hawk. Yeah. Well, and I would, I would, I would love to, you know, as Jumbo Joe at some point be like, Hey, what was it like in 2010 playing against Dave Bolin? I mean, you, I mean, you Oh, know, Bully was the, the Bully was the nightmare for the Sedins, Joe Thornton. Like he was just, but the Hawks don't, they don't have a, they don't have a pest right now. An agitator. No, they don't an have agitator a, that actually plays well. Andrew right. Shaw tries to be that, but he commits a dumb penalty and yeah. negates all of it. And he was not, he wasn't nearly as as sort of out there as Boland was, but uh, quietly he played that Boland type of game. I'll never forget when Ryan Kessler just melted down oh, yeah. on Marcus Kruger in the 2015 Western Conference yeah. Finals. Yeah. Kruger was that type of player too. And Boland and Kruger were two guys that were not really big guys, but they both played big. I mean, Six pound feet, for pound, I've never seen a guy better along the wall than Marcus Kruger. I mean it. He was he – was, amazing how he would come out with pucks against guys twice his size, you know, and, 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 you know, there's a tendency to, to not, for people not to appreciate that. And I get it because it's stuff that doesn't go on the score sheet, you know, but, but it's stuff that leads to stuff going on the score sheet, you know, um, in, in difficult situations and in big games, you know, and, and uh, I think we're all on the same page and, and I, it's just, it's an, it's a vastly underappreciated aspect of the game and, and that, and, and people confuse it with like, you know, big hits and meatball hockey and fights and crap like that. It's not what we're talking about. It is, it's, it's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that, that greasy work along the walls and around the nets and, and, you know, the stuff that just doesn't make the highlight reels, but makes the highlight reel place possible. And the Hawks need a lot more of it. They really do. And, and, uh, 
you know, and you need a guy, those guys, those guys need to be able to score some goals sometimes and jump in the play and be part of the play, you know? And, and uh, so, and they used to have a lot of those guys on the cup teams. They did. Um, so that's, that, that's all good stuff. Um, so, so what, you know, Frank, this is your first time on the show this year and we've talked a lot about the young players. Um, what are your takes on some of these young guys? And I, I know we're not necessarily expecting any of them to turn into, uh, you know, all-terrain forwards of the second coming of Jonathan Taves. And a lot of these guys seem to be kind of of the same profile, smaller, skilled guys, but they all seem to be kind of be taking, you know, a nice step forward this year. I mean, Suter and Khrushchev and uh, Mitchell and Bodin. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> I think one of the, one of the best kept secrets that the Blackhawks have is Brian Campbell and Brian Campbell has worked so well with a lot of these young defensemen. And that's why uh, Nicholas Bodan spending that year in Rockford did wonders for him because he worked so closely with Campbell and it's turned him into an effective NHL defenseman. And truthfully, I'd love to see the Hawks uh, have the fortitude to take that step back with uh, Boquist, have him go to Rockford, have him be the guy for the rest of the season He's your number one defenseman. He runs your first power play unit and just have him work with Campbell, have him come back next year and be ready to move into that role. And, you know, and Mitchell clearly has been working. I mean, he's wearing Campbell's number. <laughs> that's, how, that's how close he's been with Brian Campbell. So the young defenseman and what Brian Campbell's doing with him, I think has really been great. Um, I'm really looking forward next year to seeing what happens when Vlasic goes pro because that's going to be a big body uh, guy who can be like your big stay at home guy. And he's got a really well-developed game. I've been able to watch some film of him and uh, he, I'm not going to as much as I would love for him to be another Brent Seabrook. I just don't know that he's going to be that good, but he's, he's going to be a good big guy who can, eventually down the road, maybe be a top four big body stay at home, uh, you know, puck blocker, that sort of player. Um, yeah. I don't know if he's going to all be the same kind of defenseman that his, uh, yeah, I believe. Um, um, Mark, uh, Mark Edward. Mark, Vlasic. Mark, yeah. Mark Edward Vlasic. Yeah. His, uh, I believe it's his cousin or second cousin. Yeah. Um, no. Vlasic was, was a hell of a skater. And I'm not sure that, that our Vlasic is, is all that terribly mobile. No, he's, but, he, he, but he, you know, if he could learn to use that size, that, that would yeah. be huge. Yeah. He's, he, yeah. And his positioning actually looks pretty good. He looks like he's pretty much got a pro game already. Yeah. Uh, I don't, so, I don't know. I, I live out in Boston. He, he really had a tough freshman year in hockey East, but you know, hopefully, yeah. Um, I mean, you know. hockey East is pretty much, it's almost AHL caliber hockey. And you saw what the extra time in college did for Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends who you're playing in the hockey East. Um, yeah. You know, I think it, it, it BCBU and then, you know, Lowell and, and a couple other teams, but right. Um, I, I agree with the Brian Campbell statement. Um, I think that's great. You know, Brian Campbell, when he first got to the Hawks, he was working a lot with Paul Vincent. I mean, Paul Vincent did wonders for a lot of those yeah. young Hawks yep. um, when they were, when they were just starting their careers. Um, you know, I think huge shout out to Derek King and what he did with yeah. a lot of those players in Rockford for the one year that they were there. I mean, it's, 
you know, a lot of the kids that are playing really well right now made the most out of their AHL season last year. And, and I, and they've been doing a great job. I mean, with Kershev and Hagel and, and, and Lanky and, and a bunch of those guys. And so, um, you know, I think if, if the idea is development, that's, that's how you got to do it. And, and I completely agree, um, you know, uh, with, with the comment on, on Boquist that I, I think that yeah. he, he's been hurried and we've talked about it before. He's, yeah. he's been a little hurried. They wanted to sell jerseys. They wanted to put this guy's name out there and say, this is the next coming where his, he really needs some refinement in his game. Um, Do you know how many AHL games Boquist has played? It's like 10 or something. 15. Yeah. The only, I, I've been looking, I've been looking at it lately. The yeah. only eighth overall picks since 2010 that's played less games was uh, Zach Wisnerski. He played seven. Other than that, more guy, every guy drafted in his spot has played more games in the AHL than Adam Boquist. And I, and I do worry. I really hope that's not their intention with Wyatt Kalanick. Um, You know, I mean, he gets one power play goal in his first game and just, you know, every, all the all Chicago media is going, this kid's going to be in the NHL really, really soon. Everyone look out and it's like, hold it, hold it. Yeah. Um, you know, Re- Regula is another one or Regula, um, who I think has a lot of promise. I've, you know, I've talked about him before and, you know, he, he's been struggling in Rockford and so good, fine. Keep him there. Learn kid. Uh, keep working at it. So. Um, yeah. When I watched Bokvis, I mean, like last year in the, in the playoffs, there were a couple of times when he got burned for goals. And you could just kind of see that he was like really chastising himself. And I feel like the big thing with him now is he's kind of lost his confidence and uh, you know, going down and dominating in the AHL for, for 25 games and just getting a sense of his game, getting a sense of his game again and how good he can be might be the best thing for him before he comes back to the NHL. Um, it feels like it's psychological with him um, at this point. And uh you know, he's never going to be a guy who's going to like, you know, make us forget Duncan Keith. Cause he's not really that kind of player. Right. You know, he's, he's more like a Brian Campbell actually than, than a Duncan Keith and um, you know, or an Eric Carlson, you know, that's, that's the comparable you hear for him and, and which is almost unfair because he may never be that good either, but um, you know, he's just, he's got to find his game again and, and, you know, get his feet underneath him a little bit and regain some confidence and, and then come back. And, and I just get the sense that he's the kind of kid who probably won't, you know, melt down over it, that he'll be able to handle it. But I, and I could be wrong and that may be why they're not doing it. I don't know, but uh, it's, it seems like, and Frank, it's funny because we've been talking about that for weeks is that we, we, uh, we all feel like he probably would benefit from a little more time in the minors at this point. Sean, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I really like what Frank said about Adam Boquist needing more time in the, um, the minors. I think Brian Campbell and I think Derek King deserve a lot of credit for, especially like, um, Nicholas Bodan, uh, Scott Powers had a great article that he just put out, I think today, uh, breaking down Bodan's last game and all his shifts and just how his game has kind of evolved, uh, since, uh, being, in Rockford last year where he wasn't even like a top six or seven, like he was a bottom pairing defenseman. And like Andy referenced earlier, now he's on the first unit power play and took Duncan Keith's spot on that. So um, Bodan's ceiling obviously is a little lower than Boquist. Boquist I think is more high end talent, but you've seen what putting the work in in Rockford and then translating it to the NHL and moving people along at the right speed 
I think we've talked about many, many times how the Stan Bowman hype machine gets going and then he, he doesn't know how to slow it down. And that's uh, to the detriment of guys like Dylan Sakura, um, Adam Boquist and other such players like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's a really good point. I, I mean, I, there's a lot to be excited about, um, but I, I still see it's, it just, it just gives me the heebie jeebies when I see people start to say, talk about Kirby doc as the next Jonathan Taves or talk about um, Bowden and, and, um, and Mitchell as the next Keith and Seabrook, which I actually, I literally saw a guy saying that who's huh. involved in an argument with, with our own Eric Andrews on Twitter. And he was talking about, about Mitchell and Bowden being the nice Keith and Seabrook. You know, the problem with, with those types of statements is it creates expectations that are almost impossible to fulfill. It's not fair to the, to the young players and it's really disrespectful to the old players. Um, and, um, you know, the bottom, and I guess, I guess the gist of what I kind of wanted to come away with tonight, get you guys feelings on is I feel like, you know, there's, there are some exciting young players now emerging in the Hawks, in the Hawks system, in the Hawks organization, and even at the NHL level, but that there really still is a long way to go before, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about buying playoff tickets and planning parades. Um, and, uh, I just hope that, uh, you know, the fans and the organization, which tends to drink its own bathwater. Um, you know, historically they've had a problem with that. I hope that they'll, they'll keep their eye on the ball. And, um, you know, for example, um, they are playing well. And, and what if in February or February, gosh, what am I saying? It's February now, but what if prior to the trade deadline, they're still in the playoff picture and then they decide that they don't want to offload some of these older guys for draft picks, which is what they should do. And these are, these are the kinds of things with the Blackhawks. And I think the fans in the Blackhawks, get into this negative feedback loop of believing that all that matters is winning two playoff games this year. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know? And I, and that's, that's part of the reason I think that we get branded as being negative because we keep wanting to be realistic and think about the future and not, and not this short-term craziness that goes on every year, you know? So I'll get off my soapbox now, but uh, (laughs) anyway, this is a, this has been a, a great conversation, you guys. And, um, do you guys have anything more on hockey before um, we start talking about Frank's blog? Um, well, the one thing I'm hoping happens before the deadline is that Dallas gets their heads out of their asses and yeah. everybody gets healthy and they leapfrog yeah. the Hawks. So uh, nobody can realistically talk about a playoff run. And at I that point, they can, they can stick to the original strategy of offloading guys for picks. Um, and the one thing that I think you know, I know Andy talked about his dream of Strom getting drafted, and I think Strom might get drafted, but not from the Blackhawks. He could be a guy that the Hawks trade prior to the draft to another team so they could leave him unprotected and leave a guy they like protected. Right. And I think maybe uh, that, that extra year with his salary to help another, to help Seattle hit the floor somehow. Is, is he on a, he's on a, he's still an RFA after this season, correct? No, he signed a two-year deal. Oh, he signed a two-year deal. deal. Okay, that makes sense then. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know know if Stan is that smart, but I hope so. (laughs) We'll see. I I actually think Stan really likes Strom, but – Yeah, well, Stan Stan could also just kind of homer into it because uh, somebody's going to come to him and want Strom specifically for that purpose. It's the the reclamation project. Stan Bowman loves trading 
Yeah. High draft picks, former high draft pick for former high draft pick. Uh, See, that's how he got Michael Froelich. Here, like, here, here, you guys have forced me now to apologize for Stan Bowman. Because uh-uh. I, I believe that Bowman has sort of learned his lesson with these double downs on, on, you know, bad trades he's made. I think he learned, I think he learned a lesson with David Runblad and a couple of the other ones. Um, and I have, I, I agree. I think he's probably going to move strong with the deadline because, you know, Colleton is, is striking me as a guy who kind of, kind of tells it like it is. And I don't think, I don't think he's buying that, that line of BS so, as much maybe as some in the organization are laying down. And, um, I, I just, I just, I think Colleton, or excuse me, Colleton, um, Strom is what he is. I think you know, there's probably some team out there that's going to take a chance on him fulfilling his his promise, even though it's it's become more and more apparent now in a second organization that that he's going to be a limited player. He's sort of the he's sort of Artem Anisimov 2.0 with a little more offense and a little and a lot less defense, you know, and. Uh, and a higher hockey IQ. I will say that about Dylan. Smith. Yeah, he, he does. Yeah, he does yeah. have a higher. He's creative. He's a creative guy, but he but just he's can't. Slow and, you know, that's he, what makes up kind of for some of his shortcomings as a skater. His high high, high hockey IQ. Say that three times. He has, fast. he has a he has a ton of skill. His yeah. just his first two strides are are slow for the NHL level. He's yeah. just not quick. I don't. He's he's a slightly better. You remember Drew LeBlanc? Oh yeah, Drew LeBlanc. Hobie, he was, Hobie he Baker was, finalist. Out I remember of, uh, YouTube. Minnesota St. Cloud. And he he was a guy. St. Cloud State. That's right. He knew he knew what he needed to do. He knew where he needed to go, but he Couldn't just couldn't get there. his feet right. to get him there. Yeah. yeah. And Dylan Strom is a slightly better version of that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah he's he's J- J- Jason uh, Jason Krog 2.0. Another Hobie <laughs> winner. That was kind of his deal when he went to the Islanders. Just didn't have that speed, but yeah. Or. Um, what I what I read an article that they're they're trying to ship Jimmy VC out of town already in Toronto today. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Because oh. he's not very good up there. I don't know. I I, I have a question though. Tough media market. <laughs> Andy, yeah, do you wake up in the middle of the night and just say Dylan Strome like at three yeah. in the morning? Yeah, you just I, say I, that or I, I do, I do, and it's usually you know I've I've been wearing a mouth guard now because it's usually with gritted teeth. I think about what new hat I'm going to buy in the middle of the night. That's what I think about. And yeah, what rink I, wear, I, what rink wear I'm going to buy. Cause I, we need more stuff. I'm almost out of it. I've almost bought need, all of it. I need to stop. I need to stop. I'm, you know, I, I'm a little, I'm a little tough on Dylan Strome, but I just, you know, I just, when you, ugh, you know, a lot of people bought in when, when he was first skating with Debrinke and said, Oh, we got something here. We got something here. And, right. You know, I yeah. was, I was very happy initially when he got to Chicago. Cause I thought that, you know, as a former third overall pick, that yep. change, that change of scenery, and you know, high draft pick for a high draft pick, and now it, it turns out it was just a guy for a guy, and um, you know, when, you, know you know, when 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 Stan had all the chips at his disposal, knowing that Strom was an RFA and he still gave him six million dollars, I just that was that was it that was the end. So that that's that's where I'm coming from. Uh, thank you for this therapy session. I I, I am. <laughs> I am seeing someone on the side twice a week just to talk about Dylan Strom issues. And, um, it's clearly not working, but I'll, I'll I, try. And, I don't think I've had a good hate for a Blackhawk for the, for a while now, but that's excellent. Oh. I, oh. I still remember uh, the first year I was back in Chicago after living in New York and I had the Hawks game on and my wife and I were going to go out somewhere. I had the game on 
I'm on the second floor where the TV is. She's on the third floor getting ready. And all she heard me yell was, shoot it, you asshole. And from the floor above, she just goes, Sam's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've, uh, over the years. That was my good hate. Yeah. (laughs) Over the years, I've had a few good hates, but there's probably, I have to say, and I've, you know, I've followed this, this team for a lot of years. I probably know player I've hated more than Eric Gustafson. I just hated him. Yeah, the Gus bus, you were, you oh, were. Yeah. I was so glad when they got rid of him. And that's why, I mean, the Gustafson trade to me was, was show, I think it showed a little bit of maturation of Bowman as a GM. Yeah, sure. And, and recognizing that a guy, even though, you know, he sold tickets and a lot of the fans but, liked him, he was a guy that ultimately was not going to be part of a winning team in Chicago. And, um, you know, that's why I think it's a similar logic with Stroman. I think that's why we were going to see Strom get moved here. If not at the trade deadline, then before the draft. But, and, but, uh, but Johnny, and Andy happy too. So that's, you that's think it. Stan Bowman, like I get the maturation and stuff like that, but shouldn't he have traded him the year? Do you think he traded him a year later? He should have traded him the year before, like when he was Gustafson. riding high. With all the, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I never said Bowman had good timing. Okay. I mean, he, okay. He, uh, you were saying maturation, and I was like, "Hold on." Let's, I mean, there's like like the Nick Letty trade. He waited way too long. He lost. He lost all his bargaining power. The Patrick Sharp trade. Yeah. He waited way too long. Trevor Daly. All bar- bargaining power. That's the guy um, I hated, Trevor Daly. Trevor yeah, Daly. I mean, he did not fit. He did not fit. He no. didn't fit, and Q hated him from the beginning. And he, you know. Right. But you had to recognize what Daly was. I mean, yeah. right? Daly they didn't know what he was. was. This, no. The he, Penguins he figured it out. It, things went just fine for him after leaving Chicago. That's yeah. Cool. yeah, Pittsburgh, two Stanley Cup, yeah, two cups in Pittsburgh. So that was that was nice. And I, I don't know. I, and you know, the Stan Bowman, the the signing of Dylan Strom was probably a lot easier for Stan to do after Doc and Taves. You know, the, the injuries and the concern. I mean, we're, you know, that yeah. that signing happened after those two players were deemed out for the season. Or, Same with Carl Soderberg. Yeah, right. So, so Carl Soderbred. Yeah, who's actually Carl Soderberg has has played some pretty decent hockey these last five games. For he's not a terrible player. I mean, he's, he's, Carl, he's a yeah. decent third line center. Yeah, is basically what he right. is. Exactly, and I think that he he could be another a good chip to move. I mean, you need to keep showcasing him. You need to keep putting him in situational right. spots. Because he's the kind of player teams are going to want at the deadline. I mean, absolutely. oh yeah, love to get that Sammy Paulson, Marcus Kruger type center yeah. at the deadline. And that's yeah. kind of what he is. Him, Yanmark Mata- might be in that. Yanmark. Yep. I was going to say him, Yanmark. Yeah. Yep. Just can't right, trade Frank. them all. Can't trade Frank. them all. Cause you still got to have somebody play those positions. Ah, so play the, play the kids. I say, Frank, <laughs> let's talk, let's talk your, let's talk fully Croys and Jesus ain't baseball blog. What's going <laughs> on with that? Well, we, we do a podcast uh, when, when we get a chance, uh, when everybody's sober enough to do, <laughs> um, and you know, we talk, we talk, we barely really talk Cubs on the podcast. At some point, I do want to get a White Sox one going. We get, we've got one group of people that will write about the Cubs and talk about the Cubs. We've got another group that will write and talk about the White Sox. So basically, we're covering all of Chicago baseball. Awesome. Um, and I kind of. I haven't done it in a while, but I will switch it because I'll cover a lot of history. Um, we had a feature uh, catcher of the week that I fell down on where we, we covered a different Chicago catcher every week. So we would do a Cubs catcher. We would do a White Sox catcher. 
we would do catchers from the Chicago American Giants of the Negro League. Oh, yeah. Um, we would cover things like that. Um, we had a we have a feature where we each write about terrible games that we've been to because everybody, everybody always writes about that one memorable game, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I was there to see the Cubs win the pennant. It's like, look, I was at the game when the Cubs won the pennant. That to me is not nearly as fun to talk about as the game I went to where the Cubs lost 22 to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great game. It was during a teacher strike. Rennie Stennett went seven for seven. That's, you know, that's a unique game. You know, the Cubs winning the pennant, 40,000 people were there and another million and a half say they were there and weren't. Yep. And, you know, everybody knows that game. You know, talk about some terrible game when, you know, Willie Stargell hits one on the Sheffield Avenue in the ninth inning after the Cubs lead the whole game. Or, uh, you know, I've been to Sox games. Uh, I was at opening day for the Sox in 77. Bill Veck was the owner and his idea was to have the fans throw out the first ball. So everybody who came in got a styrofoam baseball that said Chicago White Sox opening day, 1977. And so they count it down. People throw out these styrofoam baseballs and they go around with uh, one of the machines that they use like at a driving range and pick up all these styrofoam baseballs. Problem was a lot of people kept the balls in their pocket So throughout the game, they were playing Boston throughout the game. Every time there was a fly ball hit into left field, Jim Rice would be looking for the fly ball. And all of a sudden about two dozen of these styrofoam (laughs) baseballs would come flying out. That's awesome. (laughs) It's not like Jim Rice needed any help being bad at fielding. No, he was, he was a hitter. That that was, he was a designated hitter in the outfield. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, I I like that. I love that. Uh, I got to start thinking about that. Some of the worst games I've been to just in general, I think that's a good, I mean, maybe that's brings up negative memories, but I, I like my, my father, it's whenever we talk about baseball in the eighties and somehow the Phillies come up, he's like, Oh my God. He's like every single Cubs game I went to, I swear to God, Mike Schmidt hit three home runs. Well, I was at his four home run game. Oh, there you, go. <laughs> there you have it. Well, it was, it was a weird day because it was like 75 degrees on a Saturday in April, a Saturday, Sunday. I don't remember which um, I grew up really, I grew up fairly close to Wrigley field. I was in uptown. It was like 15 blocks to the ballpark. Um, and, you know, back in the seventies, the bleachers were all day of game sales. Uh, general admission was they had general admission in the grandstands. Those were all day of game sales. So you could decide the morning of the game, whether you want to go to the game or not. Basically, if it's a nice day, you go. So we went not knowing, you know, we didn't even really know that much about Mike Schmidt. He hadn't really established himself as a star at that point. Yeah. And yeah, that was the game that pretty much established him as the guy who would just murder the Cubs for the rest of his career. Every time he was at Wrigley. Yeah, he hit, what, 500 and I don't even know. He hit like 800 home runs against the Cubs. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to baseball season this year. I I really have no idea why I'm looking forward to baseball season this year. But I, the I really Sox are going to be good, man. I'm not a Sox fan, but they're going to be good. Oh yeah, that's why they play the game. So we got to see. On paper, they look really good, and it's exciting. And it's yeah. just it's springtime, right? You know, it's well. It's let let's routine. see how the genius does managing that team. You mean Eli Larusa? That was an awful hire. Oh, that that yeah. And then I don't know if you saw this fork. It came out recently that Jerry Reinsdorf knew about the DUI, didn't mm-hmm. tell anyone, and hired him anyway. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rick Hahn's got to just be overjoyed about that whole yeah. thing. Yeah, um, all the I got a really bad baseball game story. I was at one of the six Brett Anderson starts for the Cubs in 2017. <laughs> I think he went like two innings. It I was underneath. I we had great seats, but it rained the whole game. But we were underneath, but it rained the whole game. Brett Anderson gave up like six runs in two innings, and then they they scored four, and they brought in Justin Grimm, who gave up consecutive home run balls. I spent sixty dollars on a blanket for my wife. (laughs) Jeez, yeah. I think with the cut, my worst games or any game in the Jerry Harrison Jr. era, I think it's probably (laughs) (laughs) right up right up there with Strom for me. So, All right. On that note, anyway, for, right, anyway yeah. let's let's uh, let's wrap this 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 thing up. Um, we'll uh, we'll have Frank back. Uh, maybe we'll get a little closer to baseball season, and we can we can dive a little deeper into baseball. Right now, the Tony Larusa rabbit hole was one I didn't want to go down. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you put the hat on. You had it coming. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you pro- JJ, you probably were the disco demolition. Oh boy. Actually, you know what I did? I saw it on TV. I didn't go, but I saw it on TV. You know, I was, uh, I was, I was uh, into all kind of all kinds of misdeeds at that point in my life. So anyway, but we, that's another that's another rabbit hole we won't go down. Um, all right, so you can find all of our comprehensive content at www.therank.com. Um, you can find uh, Frank's content at. Uh, fully Croy- is it fullycroison.com, Frank? Yes, it is. Fullycroison.com. Um, if you're familiar with Heilman's Old Style, you'll know how to spell that. Frank, you want to go ahead and spell it anyway? Yes, it's fully, F-U-L-L-Y, Croison, K-R-A-U-S-E-N-E-D.com. No umlaut. No umlaut. It's named for Joe Croison because Old Style Beer, Old Style Beer was fully Croison, which was a guy named Joe Croison taking a leak into the beer vats. No way. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds good. Okay. <laughs> wow, you had me going there. Outstanding. Um, and hockey night, hockey night, hockey night.com, correct? That is long. That is defunct. Is it defunct? All right. It is defunct. I wasn't sure, but it was, it was good while it lasted. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah. Eight years of absolute stupidity and the glory years, as it were. Yeah, if, if Jay Blunk weren't bald when it started, he would have torn his hair out from some of the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. You can find us on, on all the popular social media at the Rink Official, at the Rink Shy, at the Rink Colorado, at the Rink Columbus, at the Rink Seattle, at the Rink Toronto, at the Rink NWHL, and at the Rinkcast. Um, Andy, give me your digits, buddy. Uh, Andy Campbell 16, my Twitter account. Right on, Sean. Jump Diesel. On yep. D I E S A L 3426. Right on. If you get a chance, please head over to iTunes, rate us, and review us. Um, we really appreciate it, especially the good ones. Um, thanks for t- taking time out of your busy schedules to download, listen, and support us. Thank you, Frank Nova um, of Hockey Night and uh, FullyCroison.com for joining us tonight. One of our regular returning guests, and we'll have him back again soon if, he, if he's willing to join us. I don't know after tonight, especially with the fun with Russo detour. Um, uh, until next episode, see you all.